uh, flamboyant as I usually am in, in the stand. Uh, the topic for this message is confess one to another. Now I'll go ahead and tell you that confessing is not comfortable. Confessing is very hard to do. I'm going to tell you, confessing to one to another in a godly way is impossible if you don't first love one another and if you're not first willing to bear one another's burdens. Your confession will be superficial. It will be shallow. It won't be genuine. And it will not be followed with genuine prayer. So James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So we're confessing. Confessing simply means to acknowledge something. We're confessing sins, a wrong against God. And we're confessing to one another. We all sin. We know that. But a key example of a sin being an offense, not just to man, but primarily to God is David from Psalm 51 when he had a sin with Bathsheba. He cries out in Psalm 51 and he says, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. Well, he had just uh, had a man murdered, had an affair with his wife and covered it up, was not in battle as a king as he should have been. He wronged his nation. He wronged Bathsheba and he wronged Uriah. But it was against God and God only that he had sinned. Our sins are an offense to a righteous and holy God. Our sins are a stench to a righteous and holy God's nostrils. And we are called to acknowledge our disgusting state before a righteous and holy God. That is uncomfortable. But then brothers, when you go to one another to say, I am dirty, That takes a lot of humility because it stings. It hurts. Now, this is not the type of confession that you would see in the Catholic church. I want you to envision this. You go, you get in the confessional booth and you say, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. And you list this list of sins. And all of a sudden, the priest on the other side of the curtain says, whew, those were bad. Now it's my turn. I also have done this. That doesn't happen. That priest says your sins are forgiven. And you walk out and I would imagine you still probably feel pretty low because you just spilled your dark secrets to someone and you walk away away feeling still dirty. Confessing one to another. Every one of these one to another's that you're hearing preached about today is the same Greek word that is a reciprocal Pronoun. That means it is a two-way street. Not a single one of these one another's that you have heard is a one-way street. Every single one of them goes both ways. So if we're to confess one to another, then we should expect that when we're confessing to someone, they might start confessing back to us. Now, that's not always the case. There are times where you're going to need to go to someone and confess a sin because you need counsel. You need help getting out of that dark pit and you need some prayer. Now, it's not always 
the best timing for them to go ahead and start confessing their sins to you at that moment when they need to give you some deep counsel, some deep prayer. But the confessing of one to another so that you can pray for one another so that you can be something healed is vital to the health of Christian men and Christian women. This isn't just a confession to the elders of your church, though they are included in this. This is a confession of you to one another, the church to each other. You are the body of Christ. You have an obligation, a duty to confess to one another and then to pray for one another. You do not stop at your confessions. It must be followed with something to confess and pray. Confession all through the Psalms, you hear David confessing. He's confessing his sins, both the sins he's acted on, the sins he's thought, and even his unknown sins. In Psalm 66, David says in verse 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear my prayer. Now, being guilty of a sin does not disqualify us from the privilege of coming before God in His presence. The psalmist here is not talking about the committing of the sin because what we know is David sinned and God heard his prayers. We sin and God hears our prayers. What he's saying is if I regard iniquity, if I allow it to dwell in my heart, if I give sin a home in my heart, if I willingly let it take over my heart, if I gladly welcome it in, God will not hear me. God will not hear. Brother, that shakes me to the core to think that if I go before God, He will not hear my prayer. David is saying, if I give it a place in my heart, then I cannot go before God. But David is saying, though I have sinned, I do not love it. I do not let it dwell with me. I do not want it to control me. I hate my sin. One of the marks of a true Christian is that you never stop your fight against sin. You don't quit. You know what? You will not always win these battles against sin. You're going to come out of this battle of life with scars. You will come out scathed. You will come out limping. Because this devil, Satan, is a powerful, powerful foe. Not to be trifled with. He is smart. He's been around for thousands and thousands of years with one purpose in mind. One purpose. To take your heart away from the worship of God. To make you be your own God has been His goal from everlasting. So you will come away with scars. But a mark of a true Christian is that you realize that sin is sin and you hate it. You do not allow it to dwell in your heart. You don't give up. You don't embrace it. And part of this fight against sin is to confess your sins, to acknowledge that I have a sin in my life, to acknowledge that I have a problem, to acknowledge that I have a struggle, to acknowledge that I have a temptation, 
Charles Spurgeon says that the proud sinner wants Christ and his own parties, Christ and his own lust, Christ and his own waywardness. The one who is truly poor in spirit wants only Christ and he will do anything and give anything to have him. And that's why you follow up joyfully in Psalm 66 where he says at first, if I regard this iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear my prayer. He says, but verily, certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer nor his mercy from me, telling me that David hated his sin. He despised his sin. And yet we see that David sinned. So brothers, you are not going to live a sinless life. You're going to fall. You're going to falter. What is important is what you do when you falter. What do you do when you fall? A man of God, a follower of Jesus Christ, acknowledges that they have sinned. A man of God, a follower of Jesus Christ, hates his sin. A follower of Jesus Christ repents of his sin and a follower of Jesus Christ will fight against his sin. And it's an humbling experience, as I said at the beginning, to confess to someone, but God is merciful in those confessions. Proverbs 3, 34 says, though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. Brothers, when we fall and we come crawling back to that mercy seat, God is gracious and God is merciful. And in that, you should take great comfort. But with this humbleness, you also begin to learn to be more watchful and vigilant over your own self. As you confess sins, you start to see sin. As you acknowledge your sins, you start to see more and more places where you have laid your armor down, where you have let your guard down, where you have turned your back to the enemy. You learn through confession to be watchful. But you learn not just to be watchful for yourself, but to watch over your brothers, this one to another. We learn to be vigilant both for ourselves and our brother. We learn to be watchful for ourselves and our brother. Those who know our needs, when we go to someone else and they know our need, they are stimulated to pray for our need. What would we hear last night? That we need to be watching the faces of our brothers. We need to see when they're struggling. We need to see when they're hurting. But I'm going to tell you something about us men. We wear a very good mask. We know how to be strong on the outside. We know how to be strong to our community. We know how to act strong in the church. Brothers, I'm telling you, be vulnerable with each other. Take that mask off and give your brothers the opportunity to lift you up in prayer. Give them the opportunity to bear your burden and be willing in return to bear theirs with them. We're to confess our sin and to pray that we may be healed. The purpose of our confession is not to give somebody the latest scoop of dirtiness. 
As my teenagers recently taught me, it's not to spill the tea. Only a few of you got it. That just means I'm not the only one that didn't know what that meant. It means the latest gossip. It's not so that you can put some foul image in a brother's mind and also corrupt him. The purpose of confession is healing. Brother, sin has made you a spiritual leper. You are the unclean. Sin is rotting our souls. Leprosy rots your flesh till it falls away. Sin will rot your soul until you are a shell of a man. Sin is a nasty disease. And sin spreads through your entire soul, body, and mind. And sin affects your physical body as well. You need cleansing. And each sin that we have draws us further and further away from God and further and further into darkness. But we are children of God and we have been made whole and we have been made clean through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we need to remind each other of that. But brothers, if you're not admitting that you have sin, and if you're not helping your brother get out of sin, and asking him to help you get out of sin, then you're forgetting about the blood of Jesus Christ because what you are doing is you are again loving your sin and you're mocking the sacrifice of Jesus Christ when we allow sin to dwell. But I want you to know, again, as I said, you will fall. You will have temptations and you will have periods of time or certain instances that you're going to trip and you are going to stumble. But when you do, remember that failure is not fatal. If you reach out for help, Failure and falling down will kill you if you stay down and you do not call out for help. But failure is not fatal when you call out for brothers in arms to come and rescue you from your sin. Because when you call out, I tell you, there's a band of brothers that are waiting to lift you up. And take you out of the firing line. And take you off of the battlefield. And heal you and get you cleansed. And armor you back up. And get you back in the fight. But brothers, I'm telling you to call out to those brothers for help. Call out to them. When you're taking fire from Satan, which you are. When you're taking fire, there's a tactical term. That says, get off of the mark. When you're taking fire, if you've been in the military or law enforcement, you've had this kind of training. When you are taking fire in a certain place, another way of putting it is get off the X, get off the mark. You do not stay. Being stagnant means death in war. If you are a stagnant Christian, you are a dead Christian. And if you're not dead yet, you soon will be. Get off of the mark. Move away from the darts of Satan. He has a good aim. 
He knows you very well and he has thousands of years of practice against people of God. He knows the pitfalls. He knows the snares that you're liable to fall prey to. Move off of the mark. And you do that by calling out to your band of brothers. If you're pinned down by fire and you can't fight your way out of it, you have to call for backup in this battle against sin. You, you are the backup for each other. You men are the backup for one another. And you are to call out to one another when you are under fire. Get off of the X because you need to know something. You are not alone. Don't be the moping Elijah who got despondent. I'm in the cave. God, take me now. I'm it. No, you're not, Elijah. Get up off of your feet. There's 7,000 godly who are out there ready to fight this battle with you. You are not alone in this battle. There are men out there who need you and that you need them. You need one another. And I tell you, brothers, if you can't run towards them, crawl towards them. You find a way to get to safety to the safety net of your brothers. And if it means crawling on your belly through filth and mud, crawl until you are safe. But you keep moving. You do not stay put. Lean on each other. Look for one another. Take whatever steps you need to get to the safety of your brothers. Do not try this battle alone. Do not think that you can fight this battle alone, only covering your own back. Don't think that you are the only one who faces the temptations you face. Don't think that you're the only one who's fallen prey to sins. Don't think that you're the only one who's had a problem with alcohol. Don't think that you're the only man in the church who struggled with pornography. Brothers, I tell you, sin comes for us all. You are not alone in this fight. So in protecting yourself, you must also learn to protect your brother. You must also cover their back. Be willing and ready to get in the fight with your brothers because this text says to confess one to another. You need to be ready to go to Him for help and you need to be ready to cover His back when He comes to you for help. You need the protection of one another. That means you need to know where your brothers are. You need to know where they are in life. You need to know what they're struggling with right now. Now, one thing that we men are very bad at is being vulnerable with one another. The sisters seem to have these great bonds. But we put on this strong face. I don't need someone else. I've got my wife. I'm good. I go to work. I come home to my family. I'm a husband and a father. I don't need these close Godly friendships. That's for the ladies to gossip and talk about. I don't need that. Yes, you do. But we have a hard time opening up to one another and being vulnerable. There's a couple of reasons for that. 
The first one is pride. I don't want you to know that I'm struggling. I don't want you to see me as weak. I don't want you to think less of me. And what ends up happening, what Mike said last night, you want to be the man standing tallest in the room while you see your other brothers bear down with burdens. Brothers, I tell you, we're all hunched over under a burden. Every single one of us. And you know what will happen if each one of us stretched our arms out and you put your hand on this brother's burden and your hand on this brother's burden. And he takes his hand and he puts it on this brother's burden and this hand on your burden. And he takes his hand on this burden and this burden. Brothers, you lift each other up out of the mire and the clay. You lift each other up out of the filthiness. But you have to be willing to say, I need help with my burden. And I'm willing to help you with yours. Throw your pride out the window because your pride will get you killed. Your pride will kill you. I used to be a police officer and I was on what we call a stack team. We were a strategic response team where we could uh, quickly do a mini SWAT on uh, a certain situation. So our team got called to do no-knock raids on uh, drugs or arms dealers. My position in that platoon of five men was I was the breacher. I was the first man in the door. I had someone kicking the door, and I was immediately the first one in with a shotgun. I am going to tell you right now, I never would have gone into those houses by myself if I didn't know my brothers were following me in that house. So what did we do? We practiced over and over and over and over. But what was embarrassing is when you're in those practices, those tactical practices, and you realize you did something wrong and it got you or your teammates killed. And the instructors would come down just beating you up and bearing down on you. And that was hard enough. But what was really bad is when they would get the team together and say, now you tell each other what you did wrong yourself. And I had to admit during some of those training exercises that, hey, I didn't check this corner when I ran in. That was my fault because you got killed because I didn't check my corner. And then they would have to tell me, well, when you went this way, I didn't turn and check the door and I got you killed. Those were humiliating experiences because we were prideful men. We were the elite. We were the best of the best. We were the cool guys. And we had to admit, you know what? I'm not great. I'm not perfect. And even though we're the elite, we just messed up. But that was training. That wasn't the real world. Those training exercises prepared us for the real breach of a house. And I promise you, I knew exactly where every one of those other four men were. And those four men knew exactly where I was. And they knew exactly where I was going. And I tell you, we communicated nonstop with one another. Because I had to put my life in their hands. And they had to put their lives in my hands. I tell you, those masks come off really quick when you realize your life is in someone else's hand and their life is in yours. 
So when we would breach those positions, we knew where we were and we communicated. We would go in left, right, left, clear, door, clear. Gun! And everybody knew exactly where everybody was because we were watching for our brothers because we loved them and because they were not a burden to us because we loved them. But I tell you, we didn't trust the other people that were not on our team because they did not love us as we loved one another. We had a complete trust in each other's abilities. We had a complete trust that you had my best interest in mind. Brothers, that's this church. That's you and your churches. You are in a war. You are in a war. You are in a spiritual battle for your heart. You are in a spiritual battle for your mind. And if your brothers don't know where you are and you don't know where your brothers are, someone is going to fall. And it could be fatal to not just them, but the entire team. Know where your brothers are. And let them know where you are. And if you're pinned down, you better call out for help. Call out for help. You need to have complete trust in one another. And that means you must first be willing to be vulnerable to one another. But you will never be vulnerable if you don't first love each other. You will never be vulnerable if you're not willing to bear their burden and let them bear your burden, then you will never take your mask off. So I want you to think about your church home right now. There's probably a couple of brothers in there that you know their name. You may know their wife's name. You probably don't remember most of their kids' names. You see each other on Sundays. You might know where they work, maybe. Are you going to go up to that brother and say, brother, I'm struggling with pornography. You won't go to him because you're embarrassed. You don't know him well enough. There may be brothers in your church that you would go up and do that for. I tell you, it needs to be every man in your church that you trust Now, I say this cautiously. Not everyone needs to hear all of the sins. You need to use what my mom calls sanctified common sense in your confessions. There's a time for public confession in the church. There is. The New Testament church publicly confessed one another. I've confessed from the pulpit multiple times. But there are some confessions that you must use that sanctified common sense in. You don't need to get up before the church and say, I have been having a lust problem over this certain lady. Well, you've just made everyone in the church uncomfortable. You need to go to your pastors. And you need to go to some brothers that you trust in your church. And you need to confess your sins to them so that you may be healed, so that they can pray with you, so that you can be restored. So you need to take some wisdom in these confessions. I advise going to your pastors first before you make a public confession in the church. They may have a better understanding of why you shouldn't make that confession in that particular church because there could be someone else that 
who's struggling with that, and you could spiral them deeper down. So use wisdom in it. But brothers, you need each other. We men need other men. As much as we don't like to admit it, we need other men. I have a personal testimony on this, so I'll do a little more confessing from the stand. I had to be willing to open up to some faults of mine recently to some brothers in my church. I have, um, not ashamed of, of this, I have PTSD from um, some of my law enforcement experiences. And I've struggled with it for, for quite a while. But what it started to do is I started to let the fear and anxiety control me. Now those are natural things with PTSD. But what I did was I let them dictate my life. Part of my fear and part of my anxiety rolled over into the way that I dealt with my wife and my children. I would remove myself from them. If the kids were overwhelming, I would have a panic attack and I would walk away from my family. If I was fearful and anxious, I wouldn't communicate with my wife. I would use great things as excuses. I need to go study for a sermon. And I was really hiding from my family. And it caused a strain between my wife and I because we weren't communicating like we used to. She's my best friend. She really is. And I tell her everything. But I was hiding my fear from her because I didn't want her to see me as weak. Thank God for godly wives because she told me, honey, you've got a problem with your PTSD. You need some help. I went to Brother Robert Kell, who goes to this church. I went to Mighty Oaks Foundation. Some of you may have heard of that. Who help uh, uh, veterans and first responders through PTSD on biblical uh, grounds. One of the things that I realized quickly in that was I was holding all of it to myself. You know, that's a sin. I had a problem. And part of it was pride. I didn't want to let people in my church know I had a problem. One thing I think one of the preachers has an issue. You need to know right now, we've all got issues. We're men. We mess up. We falter. It was pride. But two, it strained my relationship with my family. I was an absent father while being in the house. We had about a six-month period where I was an absent father while in the home. That affects your children. I was ashamed. Ashamed. Now, Mike and I had been speaking about this. But I felt the need after I went to Mighty Oaks that I have got to open up to some brothers. And I want to tell you this. It was not hard. Because I trusted them. Because I had spent years building a relationship with these brothers. I'm not going to call out their names. I don't want to cause them any form of embarrassment. There's nothing to be embarrassed about this. This is a good example. One of these brothers is not a lot, we're not a lot alike. We're very different. We're very different. Different types of minds, different types of education. But he's my best friend in the church because we love Christ. He's my brother. There's another man in the church who I had a lot of respect for, for his wisdom. He's my brother. I implicitly trust these men. 
as all as I do all the men in my church. But I picked these two men and I confessed to them. And this is where the confessing one to another and then praying for one another is so important. Now, if I'd gone to these two brothers and I'd confessed to them and they'd say, whew, it's pretty bad. I hope you do better. I would have walked away with my head hung low and my burden that much heavier. But you know what these brothers did for me? They put their arms around me and they say, I've struggled too. I've had this problem. I've been frustrated with my children. And then they prayed. In that church office, they put their arms around me and they prayed for me. Brothers, I tell you, I walked away more hopeful than I have ever been. If I'd walked out of that room with the comment of do better, shame on you. Then I would have gone further and further down into that pit. But those brothers grabbed my burden and they lifted me up and they bathed me in prayer. And I walked away with hope. I walked away knowing that I am not in this fight alone. I walked away knowing that I have brothers who care for me. Now, every Tuesday and Friday, one of those brothers texts me or calls me and says, how are you today? Sometimes they'll send us text that just says, suit up, armor on. We are in a fight together. And if you look out and you see that your brother does not have his armor on, you tell him to suit up, armor on. Because you love him. He is not a burden. You want his safety. You want his spiritual welfare to flourish. So you watch for him. And you look for him. One thing we always did on our stack team is we poked each other in the chest and the back because we wanted to make sure they had, that we each had our armor on. I want to make sure you have it on, brother. Don't just tell me you do. I want to make sure you have it on. So I'm going to verify you've got your armor on. And I want you to do the same for me because I might have let my guard down that day. I might have gotten lazy and said, I've got my sword. I've got my helmet. I've got my breastplate, but that shield's heavy. I don't want it today. Suit up, brothers, armor on. You're in a battle. And you're in this battle together. So you need to be with one another in the, what did Mike say last night about this walking in the spiritual life? It's a walking together in a military cadence. And when somebody stumbles, you grab them and you pick them up and you tell them, keep marching. And if they're weak and tired, you put your arm around them and you help them keep marching on in this battle. Because it's going to rage on until Jesus Christ takes you home. You don't get a day off. You don't get R&R from this war. Rest and relaxation. You don't go home for a two month period and then go back into the battle. It's every day. I don't care if you're not going out of your house that day. The battle is in your home. Satan wants your home. And he's going to start with you, men. He's going to start with you because if dad doesn't have his armor on, 
then the children aren't going to have their armor on. Mom's not going to be protected. And Satan's darts are going to be fearsome for your household. You wake up daily and you put your armor on. And when you're struggling to strap on that breastplate, you call a brother. And you say, I'm struggling to put my breastplate of righteousness on today. Can you help me? I've got your six, brother. I've got your back. I'm in this fight with you. But you have to be willing to say, I can't do it on my own. You've got to go to each other and say, I fell. Well, brother, I fell too. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray for you while you pray for me. And I'm going to lift you up while you lift me up. And we're going to link arms together with our brothers and we're going to move forward in this fight. Those who make a confession of their faults one to another should then always pray for one another. Verse 13 in James chapter 5 directs people to pray for themselves. If any's afflicted, let him pray. Verse 14 directs us to seek the prayers of the ministers. If any of you sick, let him call for the ministers to anoint him and pray for him. But verse 16 directs private Christians to pray for one another. You, the church, are to be praying for each other. So we have all sorts of prayers that are needed. We have, we have the minister's prayer. You have their private prayers. You have social prayers. You have public prayers. You need to be praying in your congregations publicly. But you need to be praying. You don't stop at confession. If you've stopped at confession, all you've done is gossiped and told dirt. All you've done is tempted another brother. All you've done is laid a burden on him. You need to pray. Praying is a petition. It's a pleading with a righteous and holy and merciful God who hears you when you don't allow sin to dwell. It's a righteous prayer. It's followed up in this chapter by the example of Elias was a man subject to like passions are as we are and he prayed earnestly. So it's a righteous prayer. Not righteous in an absolute sense. We know that he wasn't righteous, but he was an example for us on, on how to pray. He was a pattern for us. But his righteousness in, in a biblical God, gospel sense of not loving or approving or excusing any form of sin. That's a righteous prayer. The righteous, the fervent righteous prayer avails much. I misquoted it, but you know what it is. The fervent, where's that at? I gotta read it now because I messed it up. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. There is power in your prayers for one another. You need to get comfortable enough with each other to say, can you pray for me right now? And let me pray for you right now because there's power in that prayer. If you have the same goal of bringing each other to spiritual healing and spiritual wellness, then you can say there is power in that prayer. So you follow up your confessions to one another in this two-way street and then you pray on that two-way street. 
Don't be guilty as I have. Yeah, I'm going to pray for you on that, brother. Call their hand on it. Ask them to pray right now. Because how guilty have I been? Yeah, I'm going to pray for you. And I see them the next week. And man, am I full of guilt. I didn't pray for them once. Ask for prayer. And you pray. Confession should always be followed up with a prayer. We go back to to David in Psalm 66. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not pray my hear my prayer. Well, we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. John 9:31. How then is God hearing your sinners praying? Because it's not dwelling in you. Because you're confessing to one another. You're admitting, I have a sin and I hate it. I have a sin and I despise it. I have a problem and I want it destroyed. I don't want it just shifted to the side. I want it gone. I want to be like Josiah of old and I want to take all of the idols of the temple. I want to grind them into a powder and I don't want to just leave it there. I want to take them out and throw them in the river so they're washed away forever. I want them gone. I hate my sin. That's the prayer that God hears. And this prayer must be fervent from the depths of our hearts. A pleading prayer. A pouring out of the heart to God. Such a prayer avails much, brothers. Such a prayer avails much. Let's close here with just reminding ourselves that confession isn't easy. It just isn't. It's hard. It's painful to be vulnerable to somebody. It's We have this sense of being strong. I'm a warrior. Um, I don't need rescuing. I'll be willing to rescue David. That's what I was doing as a preacher while I was still struggling. I can help you out with your problems. Sure. I can counsel you from Scripture. But I don't need rescuing. It took a godly wife to tell me I need to be rescued and I needed men to do it. She knew she couldn't. She knew I needed men of God to help me. Brothers, we all, we all need to be rescued because we were all rescued by the same merciful hand of a righteous God from the darkest, deepest, dirtiest pit of sin. We were all that low. All of us. But God reaches to the lowest depths of sin and He picks His people up and He holds them tight. And He has given you each other as a safeguard to keep you from falling. To grab each other from the fire if you must. To keep you from being spotted. We are no more in this grime and filth of life, but we are redeemed. You have now been brought into the army of the kingdom of the God Almighty, El Shaddai. You are warriors in His kingdom. So I would tell you, brothers, link arms. Armor up and pray and confess to one another because you're in this fight together. Thank you.